Hmm. Friends, I'm back again. It's been a fortnight since we've spoken. I had the 18 Models Coach Training event last week, which used up all of my energy and then some. It was a lot of fun, though, and a good time was had by all. Um, people from around the country coming to learn how to facilitate lasting change and in the process understand the secrets of personal development, peak performance, success, happiness, fulfillment. Um, it's a really cool thing because it's a very immersive experience. I'm non-negotiable about smoking what I'm selling. So if I'm going to train someone to coach someone else, the only way in is to go first to you know you, the learnings in the doing and the doing is first and foremost in your own life so you understand how to hold a space for someone else because you've understood how to hold a space for yourself you understand how to address secondary gain in someone else because you've addressed it in your own life you understand how to overcome insecurity in someone else because you've done it for yourself first so um, yeah a really intense experience for those in the room uh, thankfully, I was able to record this one and we'll make that training available online for people around the world who are keen to do that and couldn't be in the room. Nothing like being in the room, though. Um, the, I had Amity, my 19-year-old daughter, in the room, which was a lot of fun. Um, she uncovered a bunch of daddy issues in the process of the training, which I'm partly responsible for. Sorry, Amity. Uh, but she said to me, after day two, her, her mind was spinning with what she could see and and she could see really clearly and just the, the deconstruction of, of strategy. Uh, you know, you hear me talk about structure and when you see structure, the moment you see structure off the back of the idea that people work perfectly. So our results are not uh, random, mysterious, messy, unknowable. They're, they're really predictable. They're very structured. They're, they are strategies off the back of the agreements and accusations we've made about ourselves and so as soon as you can create a clean space clean enough to see then you can see incredible amounts of order and and that is game changing because as soon as you can see order you can deconstruct that order you can break that system apart to its smallest moving parts and then you can rebuild it you can optimize it the real fun is these structures and systems are, are built, like operating system 1.0 was built when we're young. Probably before we're seven, we've created our first operating system for how we will handle the world. Uh, great. So you've you got to understand that a child is building an operating system, so it's going to make do. It'll be as good as you can do for then. Um, but if you, don't op, if you don't update it, it's still going to be working just as you made it. And you know it's going to be messy if you're trying to run an adult world off the back of a childish operating system anyway <clears throat> back to amity so she saw it she saw through the matrix she's like oh my goodness i understand why i do the things that i do i can see why others are doing the things that they do i can just uh, this this idea of secondary gain you know we everything we tolerate or complain about but do not change must in fact be working for us there's no other way of thinking about it so in fact these dysfunctional things are not holding on to us we are holding on to them for a purpose they're protecting us they're providing for our needs yada 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 all the things but then she was struck with the real conundrum which was really troubling and wondrously exciting at the same time and that is but i kind of get that just because i can see it does not entitle me to say it so how do you get to say it when do you get to say it? Why do you get to say it? How does that work? <laughs> Just the excitement. If I can see, 
Uh, and I, I can relate to that. I remember the, how dangerous and reckless I was when I came out of coach training school all jacked up on Mountain Dew, ready to change the world and make a million dollars. And if I could see it, I was going to say it. I hadn't kind of worked out that seeing it does not give you a free pass to say it. No matter what you think your intentions are, if you are not given permission, explicit permission to speak into someone's reality, then it's a judgment. No matter how clearly you see what you see or how well-intentioned your advice is, it's not called for, therefore it's inappropriate. How, how could you possibly know what someone should or shouldn't do? You're not them. It's not your life. So to wade away, just to swing away, sorry, to wade in and swing away and say, well, anyway, here's what I think you should do and here's where you're going wrong and I, here's why you do this and you need to do this. It's like, whoa, 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 just hold your horses. So... Um, everyone in the room had an experience of that dilemma and their enthusiasm to get to the solution, to rush straight to action and advice overshadowed their ability to maintain rapport. Every every practice coaching session we had in the room, that dilemma was crossed. So, yeah, yeah, I've got to, I got to maintain rapport with you, great, but my need to tell you what I see is too is too great. It overrides my need to keep rapport, and so your rapport loses. Just Just listen to what I've got to tell you. And then in reflection, they go, yeah, but I broke rapport in the process. Your guardedness went up, your resistance elevated, and then you couldn't hear a word that I said. In fact, now that I've said it, you're less likely to receive it because I delivered it as a form of wanting for you. And therefore, I, I placed myself as your supreme leader and told you what to do. And that didn't feel nice for you. I could tell that. So, hmm, now I've done you a disservice and revealed my intentions to be to be the hero in the story rather than you as the hero in the story. So the fun of watching that happen in the room and, and so cool for Amity to identify that that was the main thing. And you know this is why uh, practice five in the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity makes the list of essential practices. Get help from someone who does not care about you. Uh, and I think that is the hardest help to find, the rarest help to find because you know coaching is such an exciting skill set because of the the precision with which you can see when you kind of start wading into the structure of human behavior it is breathtaking but just because you can see it doesn't qualify if you anything for anything <laughs> that's just that's maybe more of a curse to you than anything that you can, that you can see it the challenge will be whatever you need to say it um, you cannot and it's, it's only until you don't need to say it that maybe you're in the game. And then it's your, then it's your skill to reference a client's agenda. What, what do they want? And to elicit their own motivation and desire. And therefore, they take it from you. They reach into your world and, and get the information they need for their purposes. So you serve their agenda. Uh, so... The greatest challenge for any coach, for anyone in the personal development space, is how do you, how do you do that? How do you deliver life-changing um, concepts, tools, truth in a way that's received? And you've got to do it by working through your own stuff first, not being needy. Therefore, having no insecurity, having nothing to prove and nothing to to defend. So, look, hopefully there are six people closer to being able to do that in the world this week than they were last week. Uh, I also uh, 
between then and now got to experience watching someone take a full hero dose of psilocybin using mushrooms uh, in a therapeutic setting so off the back of coaching then ready to surrender to an experience to a trip facilitated by psilocybin um, and got to watch this as part of my research into this idea that psilocybin belongs and more than more than it belongs that it, it is it's an essential connector to the divine to the planet to ourselves to each other and that it's part of the grace in in the cosmos it's part of the resources that are already there and um, my my hunch was was proven true so in the in the context of a safe physically safe psychologically i.e. the way that this person had come into the experience was with in a state of trust and rapport with themselves ready to experience something bigger than them and not even about them so not in a state of anxiety not in a state of fear not in a state of distrust not in a state of broken rapport so physical safety as in uh, in a safe place, safe environment there's no uncertainty uh, there's nothing required there's no physical danger you're not required to drive or walk or see anyone you're you're in a place where you can have this experience you can relax and surrender and you can surrender into your own safety you, you are capable you're ready for this so in the context of a physically safe uh, psychological safe environment you know supportive uh, warm environment physically with stated readiness and a clear intention to receive something important um, you can only have a meaningful experience that's the only possible thing that can happen next so look don't don't let me tell you anything about this just from my own map of the world too by the way do your own research um, switch your brain on go down the rabbit hole read stuff watch stuff ask some decent questions uh, you know if if you're open-minded in any way about this you don't have to look very hard or very far to find that psilocybin has been a wonderful conduit into the divine into connection with oneness with life itself with love with truth with wisdom for as long as we have records from the very beginning and so the war on drugs saw it have a brief hiatus where it was seen as reckless there was some really beautiful research done from johns hopkins university in new york uh, talking about that what what would the what was happening in the world in the 1960s the free love just the awakening consciousness and the free use of psychedelics and just creating this social anxiety like it was it was anti-establishment it was um, this casting off restraint it was exploring uncharted territory and as a world as a society this research suggests um, the world perhaps wasn't ready for that level of freedom and so the powers that be shut it down too dangerous too too unsafe we need to get control back um, but thankfully the research has started up again and as has the use of psilocybin and therapeutic use therapeutic use so it's not a recreational drug. I think that's a really disrespectful way to treat psilocybin. To to, it's to have the universe roll its eyes at you and go, really, you're going to dabble? Um, what's going on? Like, sur surrender to this. Come on a ride. See what's real. 
wake up and and see and i think that's psilocybin is a, a portal into that so so i think the the importance is you have to create enough safety for yourself whatever that means so do your research find someone who's able to facilitate understand quantities or all the stuff understand if you have a, a tendency a, you know a history of um, mental instability or psycho what's the word psychotic episodes or schizophrenia you know perhaps there's some you know real real concerns around what will happen there but uh, outside of that your job is to take care of safety so that you can you can surrender to this experience so your first point of safety is safety within yourself it's time to do the work around lack of trust internally who do you think you are at your worst? What are these accusations and assumptions you've made about yourself that you can't handle life, that you're running and hiding? Whatever that's the case for you, you will still run and hide from the wonder of what's inside the experience. Uh, and then find some someone who is able to facilitate some safety for you. So to understand yourself, to understand substance, to understand the research, like come in informed, that's your job, and then you can surrender. And when you can surrender, then you can only have a great experience with this. Getting to watch this experience was just exquisite and, and hearing the message they brought back with it. It's a message from the earth itself, from life itself. It, it's a message that is important, more than important, it's a message that is essential for the future of the planet the planet itself speaking to the species that has the most control over every other species that seems to be what psilocybin opens up a chance to communicate as a whole a chance to hear wisdom a chance to wake up and and waking up is a really important piece because if you're someone who considers that all there is to life is your nine to five job your immediate physical reality if you look up in from from where you are and look up into the heavens and your your focus is so narrow that as you look up you can only see your god in your way in your language in your experience and that's that must be the whole view just because that's what you see from your minute perspective and therefore your culture your history your traditions your idiosyncrasies are all part of that filter and that's the whole map you, you think you can see everything because that's just your readily available experience rehearsed experience and you think that's everything that's a really unkind way to live it's, it's more than unkind it's an inappropriate way to live because it perpetrates evil in the world i i had a conversation with a friend uh, recently about uh, their take on the fact that the earth is only 6,000 years old and um, you know I grew up in a world where that was taught as what the Bible suggested was true 6,000 years that's all God created the earth in six literal days 6,000 years ago and that's the only way to understand it because when you read the Bible um, on the first day God created the heavens and the earth on the second day blah 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 so clearly that's what it says so clearly that's what it means so if that's what it says that's what it means and i must believe it and if i can't believe that i can't believe anything so you can't question one part of this and so you know that's that's a very ugly way to consider your part in the world and how it's happened to take your brain out and feed it to the dog to not consider in what way are those words written not all words are equal some words are metaphor some words are literal some words are poetry some words are story um, they're not all equal 
Uh, but more than that, I, I suggested, well, hang on, but when you look up into the heavens and you see that starlight, do you realize that the vast majority, bar for a very few stars, are more than 6,000 light years away? In fact, most of these are thousands and hundreds of thousands and even millions of light years away. So how is it that you can see the light when you look up if we've only been here 6,000 years? It hasn't had enough time for the light to travel this far for our eyes to see it. Um, and they just said, well, look, it's a mystery. And God works in mysterious ways. So that's enough. It's a mystery. And I, I just said, look, I, I need more from you than that. That's, that's actually not, okay, we'll agree to disagree. That's a destructive way to think. That's how wars start. That's how people are abused. That's, that's how tribalism fights one another, positions oneself as the enemy of another person on the basis of their ideology. When if you zoom out, you're brothers. You're on the same team, on the same planet, sharing the same resources. You're all the same. So the, <clears throat> the wonder of what happens when you are taken into a trip in the naturally occurring substance psilocybin, you only experience oneness. All those limitations fall away. You don't see yourself getting to hold on to your limited small-minded ideology you get exposed to a bigger picture a picture that's not even about you a picture that you thought you were king of the world but when you zoom out you are realizing that you your your house is on the fingernail of the, of a sea creature so vast that one vibration of that finger ends your whole world and you thought you were in charge you thought you were running the show <laughs> you are precariously placed when you zoom out you thought you could do whatever you wanted and your world in your current immediate location as long as that was safe and that was all that mattered you zoom out <laughs> that's a destructive horrible unkind way to live so you you know don't let me tell you what to do but but do mushrooms, right? Um, find a way to to challenge your fear around psychedelic drugs. They are not the same as narcotics. They are not the same as alcohol. They are a different class, and they are part of the grace that is given freely and required for the future of the planet. So beautiful to watch this. Beautiful to have all my thoughts confirmed and um, i'm ready to see more of this happen and i'm sure that i will this last three weeks while it's had its own intensity with coaching and coach training it's been a break from writing which has been refreshing i definitely cooked the goose um, in the end of the last writing block but i'm about to get my manuscript back and um yeah it it won't be fun when I do. I'm sure that, as is my experience, every time I've submitted a first draft, I just think, geez, I've written the tits off that. That's so good. Wow. This editor's going to be blessed. And really, they'll probably be weeping the whole time they read this, just the way life changed. And that's often, no, it's not often. It's That's not what happens when I get it back. Instead, when I get it back, it's, Jamin, um, did you skip? year two to year 11 English like did you just find a way to somehow forge your year 12 exam like do you understand what a comma does a full stop a colon a semi you just whack them in whenever you like you love an exclamation mark sentences are long complicated 
like none of this stuff even makes sense and um yeah so this was a dog's breakfast and hard work and i i nearly committed suicide while reading it didn't get blessed at all didn't find any joy so that's what the editors so the editors in had a, had a tough three weeks so i'll get it back and there'll be some weeping and gnashing of teeth as i look at it and all the red marks and all that that doesn't make sense to rewrite this what do you mean by that and this idea does not connect with that and i think you've structured this upside down and back to front and inside out it makes no sense there is no flow so i'll take a deep breath i'll uh, put on my writing persona the tormented artist and go wrestle with some words again and uh, bring this thing to life because Although the process of it is hard, is hard and at times there's no, there's no joy in it. It's meaningful suffering. And the burning knowledge of the fact that um, this book represents my best work, as, as perhaps all the other books have at that time. And so not to devalue or discredit any of my prior work, but this one uh, is my most important one, um, as you'd hoped. You, you would hope that the work is advancing, my skill level has increased, my writing has improved, the precision of my voice is sharper. When, when I had my um, psychedelic experience, a, a hero dose of LSD, you might have heard me say this, but the at the crescendo of this, the, the phrase ro rolling around in my mind was, I am the music and God is the music. I am the music and God is the music. And that, while I was listening to classical music, you know, I couldn't tell if I was listening to it, if I was feeling it, if I was it. And then that that kind of clicked in. I am the music. Yes, I am the music. And, and in fact, God is the music. And so that made sense of my past and present and future. And as I came out of that, I reflected on this idea of if I am the music, well, what is this music? If I had to describe it, if I had to write it or play it or, or define or give language to it how would I describe this music and uh, and and since then I've in that moment I thought well well in fact the music that plays inside me is a music around how to be a good human being and not with that as an end in, in itself but that is a, a very necessary wonderful pursuit and then that being the thing that qualified you to have an extraordinary spiritual experience too to realize that life actually is spiritual but you don't get a way into authentic spirituality by escaping your humanity you must include and transcend it so your first job is to work out how to be a bloody human first and that is hard so hard so so hard and so i feel like my whole um my whole life's work has been to refine the instrument with which I play that music of how to be a good human. So this book it will be more beautiful and more precise and a more clearer presentation of that, that idea than, than anything else. So uh, getting closer to having that released to the world and looking forward to that, although there's some hard days ahead of me. I know, and, and the editor's... That'll be a different editor the next time, so it'd be more pain and suffering for them too. Apologies in advance. Now, the self-esteem movement. So I was listening to a comedian this week, as is my want. I do enjoy stand-up comedy. Good grief. What a what an extraordinary art form. Surely the most difficult of all the public speaking platforms. Um, but a necessary corrective to culture that's still the the platform with the most latitude to swing away to say whatever it is you like 
and therefore it's a corrective it's a chance to deconstruct it's a chance to rebuke it's a chance to criticize it's a chance to laugh at it's a chance to <laughs> to say things are stupid when they're stupid rather than to smoke you know drink the Kool-Aid and and to sign up to whatever bullshit society presents as though that's the only way to have a critical eye wonderful and so comedians are that's the role they play so a comedian i was listening to was talking about the self-esteem movement and i hadn't actually heard that term so it made me do some research around that and, and realize that was true you know the the baby boomers um you know coming out of post-war era realized that they no one had really had any time or care to think about their own well-being they just had to make do they, they had to survive they had to rebuild and so this idea of emotional intelligence and um, relational strength and personal development was not wasn't important it wasn't necessary and so nathaniel brandon he wrote a book called the psychology of self-esteem in 1979 uh, and he said I cannot think of a single psychological problem from anxiety and depression to fear of intimacy or of success to spouse battery or child molestation that is not traced back to the problem of low self-esteem. Go to grief. Now, his work, The Psychology of the self, of Self-Esteem, is, is brilliant. Like it, it is an extraordinary contribution to that very problem. And... Uh, and I think the insecurity project, if I'm honest, that is that is the work that I'm doing is flowing on from what Nathaniel Brandon addressed as a dire issue in the world. I agree, Nathaniel. I agree. Low self-esteem, this sense of I don't know who I am. I do not hold myself in high regard. In fact, I'm worried that I am not worthy. I do not deserve that I have no value, that I am inadequate. I am uh, unworthy and there is a problem with me. Yeah, I agree that every single problem is and dysfunction is traced back to that insecurity. I agree. So government organizations and non-government organizations alike created a lot of awareness around this issue in the late 70s, early 80s and decided, well, yes, we must do something about it. And as is often repeated, awareness does not automatically solve the problem. In fact, sometimes awareness creates more of a problem. Uh, and so in, in the case of the self-esteem movement, it was decided by the powers that be that therefore we must overcompensate now and treat everyone as though they are special, which might sound wonderful, but it turns out it wasn't. Uh, you know, and it, it, the movement quickly fell into serious error because in order to foster self-esteem, teachers and parents began to pour unconditional praise on children and, and then sheltered them from adverse consequences and criticism. So, um, you know, there's critics now that blame this self-esteem movement for producing a, generational, a generation of emotional, fragile young adults who expect praise simply for showing up for work. They can't accept constructive criticism. They, de they demand safe spaces on university campus where they will not hear anything challenging uh, and they want trigger warnings before lectures that might discuss sensitive issues. So it's this, uh, in the interest of promoting self-esteem, we've created fragile people who still have no self-esteem. So the, the point of why I wanted to raise this is because here's, here's the thing, the problem is accurate, yeah. 
if you don't know who you are, if you don't feel special, uh, it's going to lead to serious dysfunction. That is one of the core needs. Anthony Robbins' great contribution was to identify significance as a human need, just as important to you as oxygen, just as necessary as water, as food, as shelter. You will need to know that you matter. You cannot survive in this life if you have no significance, if you do not find a, a value for your life. What if there is no point to your existence, if you are not of any value and worth? You cannot survive. And so here's the problem, though. Just because you know that doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you know how to solve that. And so the solution to, well, if everyone needs to be special, then let's just tell them we're special in an unconditional way. You're special and you're special and look in the mirror and tell yourself you're special and write affirmations on your mirror and special posters and let's give everyone an award. Let's not criticize. Um, let's, let's, not, let's not use negative words when we are telling giving people feedback let's just keep it all positive so that people will know they're special because we don't use any bad words well that's not going to work because nathaniel nathaniel brandon's great contribution was um, this idea that when life happens as it does life throws up all kinds of wonderful and terrible things at the same time and you don't even really know which one it's going to be. You wake up in the morning with an idea of how life's going to play out, but then uh, it happens anyway, whether you're prepared for it or not. And so Nathaniel says you've really only got one choice to make. Uh, will you face up to life or will you run away? Uh, and then he says the implications of that single choice will have big ramifications ultimately all the way to your self-esteem. So if you run away, i.e. you hide, you blame, you avoid, you obfuscate, you pretend, uh, you dance around the issue, you um, find an excuse, you procrastinate, um, then sure, you do escape from the situation. Yeah, great, but you don't escape scot-free. Um, you take shame, guilt and anxiety with you. Like it, it lingers. And in the process of that, you, you actually uh, teach yourself that you don't have what it takes to deal with life. So every time you run and you get away, carrying shame, guilt and anxiety, it weakens you as a person. It, you, you inform yourself that you must keep running. When life happens, you run. You are a runner. Then you end up believing that you don't have what it takes to deal with life, that you are not enough. And by that time, your self-esteem shot. You do not feel good about yourself because there's nothing to feel good about. So alternatively, when life happens, you must face up in order to get good self-esteem. Don't let me don't let me tell you what you must do. Uh, if you want if you want good self-esteem, you must, but only if you want good self-esteem. So if you don't want good self-esteem, if you enjoy feeling shit about yourself, that's fine. Uh, run and hide. Um, won't bother me until your dysfunction gets in my way and affects me. Then it'll bother me, and then try and do something about it but until then yeah live your life uh <laughs> what was i saying right so you face up good you tell the truth you accept you um, take responsibility you deal with the thing you do what you said you were going to do you you deal with it like you you're you're in this situation and you do not escape it you actually get through it and you don't die. And, and instead of taking shame, guilt and anxiety, you take confidence, strength and peace primarily. You breathe deeply, a sigh of relief, I'm okay. And, and more than that, you come out the other side uh, teaching yourself that 
hmm. you're stronger than you thought. You thought you were going to die, you did it anyway, and, and you come out the other side better than before. And so if you could do that, what else could you do? So it actually empowers and enlarges you and you, and you inform yourself that you're stronger than you thought. So if you could do that, what else you could do? And then, then you end up in the process of teaching yourself, you believe that um, you're enough. You don't have to be perfect. You, you have more than enough internal resources to handle whatever it is that life throws up at you. You are strong. You are capable. You are wise. You make good decisions. You can handle complexity. You are enough. So you have good self-esteem. That's, that's the simplicity. So the irony of you know, Nathaniel who raised this issue, yeah, look at this. It's an insecurity problem, people, and it's at the bottom of all dysfunction. Uh-oh, let's make people feel good about themselves. Yeah, but in the process of giving unconditional praise, you teach them they can't handle what's real. So when you tell a kid he's, he's awesome even though he sucks, you teach him he could not handle the truth. The truth is he sucks. Not everyone's great at this. doesn't mean he's a bad person, but if he's no good, well, the truth is actually what builds self-esteem, not the platitude, not absolving or absolving responsibility. So if someone's done something wrong and you step in and protect them from the consequences, then you teach them they can't handle the consequences and therefore they're not strong enough to deal with life. So Nathaniel gets a real tick. He, his work is, is groundbreaking. It's, it is the solution. Um, and so it speaks to this idea that we all must feel special. But if you if you don't, actually do the work of building your own self-esteem of teaching yourself who you really are of reviewing the narratives you've had that you're weak and incapable and and countering those and proving that they are works of fiction uh, and and they're based on you know the meaning you've placed on defining moments when you were a kid when you didn't know what was what but but they you know you misunderstood what your nature really was if you review that and and replace that with updated ways of knowing who you are and what you're capable of and have good self-esteem, well, then you're okay. Then you come into the world knowing that you are special, not having to prove that you are special. It's locked away. It's like, oh, look at this. I am special. Yeah, great. Now I don't have to pay attention to it. Now there is nothing to prove and nothing to defend. Now I've got something to give. Now I can pour out out of the overflow of my specialness and go do good work in the world. Whereas if you haven't worked out that that is true, then you will need to find it true. And you will have to create special ways to be special. So it'll be through your performance. I'll have to perform in a special way to be special. I'll have to achieve certain things in order to be special. I'll have to have special possessions so that then, because I've got special possessions, that must mean I'm special. I'll have to raise to special positions or titles. I'll seek out power and influence because when I get there, then I'll be special. Or I'll have to have special problems. I'll have to be different or weird or um, you know, uniquely wired so that it is in my specialness that I am special. It's the, it's the problem with me that makes me special. Or I'll have to be a martyr and prove I'm special by how I can handle bad behavior, how special I am because I can still have a smile on my face even when people treat me poorly. And I'm special because I'm the best person I know. There's no one else who could do this. I'm better than them and I'm better than them and I'm better than them. So I am a special person by default by being better than. The point being, your work is to know that you are special, like that's your job, not because of what you do, just because of who you are, and to solve that problem, to lock that away. Otherwise, 
your attempt, you will still need to feel special, but but the strategies you will do will be ugly. They'll be destructive. They'll be hurtful. They will perpetrate evil in the world. We'll all suffer. So, yeah, I mean, don't let me tell you what to do, but if you're going to be someone that perpetrates evil in the world, I'm going to, play, I'm going to have a problem. You know, we might come to blows occasionally. So just be prepared for that, all right? If I see you in the street and I punch you in the chin, I mean, you might have had it coming, okay? Now, what else? I think that's it, actually. Yeah, punch you in the chin. That's the last thing I had written down. Um, so, look, we'll leave it there for today. I hope that's been useful. And, um, yeah, enjoy your research into the world of psychedelics. Bye for now.